In May 2012, a group of faculty went to Shanghai University to represent the University of Kentucky and present a series of lectures on globalization, identity, and cultural diversity. As part of this symposium, Ron Penn, a professor in UK's School of Music, gave a presentation on sound, place, and identity. In this session, Penn gave examples of musical styles from Appalachia. Poetry that Frank was talking about is one of the most concise ways of saying something. I like the idea that the Japanese have a poem form called haiku that is very concentrated, just a few lines that puts you into the space. I like to refer to some of the music that comes from the mountains as hillbilly haiku. And uh, I'm going to give you an example of one just to give us a way of starting. Love, it is an awful thing. Beauty is a blossom. If you want your finger bit, you poke it at a possum. What's that about? <laughs> Love, it is an awful thing. It seems like a silly little rhyme, but you think about what love is, an awful thing, meaning it can be horrible, you can have your heart broken, or it can be awesome, beautiful, a miracle. If love is an awful thing, beauty is a blossom. What could be more beautiful than that flower as it first unfolds? If you want your finger bit, you poke it at a possum. A possum is a weaselly little you know, creature with sharp teeth. And as sure as you put your finger in it, you're going to get it bit. Want to sing it with me? Mm -hmm. uh, love it is an awful thing. Beauty is a blossom. Love it is an awful thing. Beauty is a blossom. One more time. Love it is an awful thing. Beauty is a blossom. If you want your finger bit, you poke it at a possum. If you want your finger bit, you poke it at a possum. Again. If you want your finger bit, you poke it at a possum. From the beginning. Love, it is an awful thing. Beauty is a blossom. If you want your finger bit, you poke it at a possum. Just a moment of Hillbilly Haku. But to show you that songs that we share, suddenly we're community, we're family, we're a group of people that have one song at least in common. And you might see each other a week from now. Anna might go to somebody, love, it is an awful thing. And they go, oh, that was a silly one about the possum. And it shows that you share something with one another. You've got a song that binds you as a community. Part of what I want to show is the way in which a sense of place that Mary was talking about, the, that the Appalachian poets were considering as a place, is tied to a people who live in that place, all kinds of people. And one of the things that holds them together and defines who they are and communicates that is the music. So, sense of place. 
That's the whole United States. And over there, the region that you've already seen, but I wanted to place it in the context of the United States as a whole. A map that you saw that was similar, but one of the things that's interesting about Appalachia, different people view it differently. And people from the region themselves view it differently. Oh, I'm not from Appalachia. No, that's over there in that part of the world. They don't want it to be part of their world. But it really runs, in some ways, the mountain all the way into Canada, all the way up to Quebec, and all the way far south. And different people have viewed the region in different ways here, as we can see it. This is a poem that James Still, a great writer in Kentucky, wrote that defines that sense of place for me very well. And it's being read by Mike Mullins, a friend of mine who was at the Heinemann Settlement School. Do you want to click? Polk Creek is one of the most special towns at the Heinemann Settlement School. And Mr. Steele's poem, Heritage, I think captures this better than anything that I know. Heritage. I shall not leave these prison hills, though they topple their barren heads to level earth, and the forest slide uprooted out of the sky. Though the waters are troublesome, I trace forth of Sand Lake rise in a single body to clean the valleys, to drown lush pitting roll to unravel rail fences. Though the sunball breaks the ridges into dust and burns its strength into the blistered rock, I cannot leave, I cannot go away. Being of these hills, being one with the fox, stealing into the shadows, one with the newborn foal, the lumbering ox drawing green beech logs to mill, one with destined feet of man climbing and descending, and one with death rising to blue again. I cannot go, being up these hills, I cannot pass beyond. A sense of a place. I want to just look at some images of, mostly from Kentucky, a few from North Carolina, of places so you have a sense of what the region looks like. The mountains. Gene Ritchie, a Kentucky singer, said, to stand in the bottom of any of the valleys is to have the feeling of being down in the center of a great round cup. To stand on top of one of the narrow ridges is like balancing on one of the innermost petals of a gigantic rose from which you can see all around the other petals falling away into the horizon. You can think of the mountains very much like a rose. There's a sense of beauty and peace and majesty about these mountains that draws people to live in them, despite the fact that the farming is terrible, there are jobs that are scarce, it is hard to build because so many of the hills are very steep, and it's going to lead us, as we're going to see, into a relationship that becomes very difficult in the mountains. The relationship of the people to their landscape. Mary would recognize this. This is a friend of mine, Bruce Green, a fiddler on a porch where we're sharing music. And that's something that just takes place as people share music with one another in a place. Music can be heard anywhere. 
My friend Tanya here loves the cloud, the iClouds. You can carry your iTunes with you anywhere. You can carry a boombox with you anywhere. You can be watching and listening to music in any part of the world. But I'm convinced that music that is closest to where you live, to the soil from which you spring, has the most power to affect you. Music is portable, but it's powerful when it comes from a sense of place that's rooted to the people who live there. The place, the landscape that spawns the music. This is the old growth forest that's never been timbered, Lily Cornet Woods, and that's Heinemann Settlement School. So narrow that you have these little bridges to walk across the creek to your homes. A sign along the highway that I used to love, it's no longer there, uh, but it's talking about alcohol biting as a serpent, uh, women's Christian temperance. The mountains channel the water that comes and spreads throughout the rest of Kentucky. From those mountains, tiny little streams come out of the mountains and form the broad Kentucky River that feeds, nourishes us in Lexington and the bluegrass. The water from those streams, Bad Branch Falls, this is where Jean Ritchie lives. The homes, the landscapes, the garden is so important. Raising your own vegetables. A cabin, the old style of living at Hyman Settlement School. Just a fall landscape at a festival those bridges again. Very scary and narrow bridges, most of them are falling down. <laughs> that same cabin in the winter. The different seasons. The music changes in the season. Instead of playing out on that porch the way I would in the spring, I'm inside, and it changes the music. The lamp. It is so powerful, that landscape changes and affects the way we think. It affects the way we feel about being surrounded by those mountains where you're protected and nurtured. Suddenly to leave those mountains and come out into the flatlands, you're unprotected. And it's very scary in some ways. You get a feeling of that when you come out into the open. I have to tell you that this beautiful land is in distress. Black waters from mountains being taken off, coal being extracted from the mountains. They're put into holding ponds, and sometimes they spill, and they release this, which is a beautiful, clear Tug Fork River, is covered in the waste of coal. And I'd like to play a little bit of music by Gene Ritchie that was a song about this. Black Waters. Where the wild deer and the black bear so live. 
Those same mountains that I was showing you, what they look like after you take the mountains off, blow them up with dynamite, and scrape them, and put the fill in the valley, and take the coal out. If you look at Kentucky and West Virginia, you see how many of these mines there are right now. A huge number of coal mines. Shows you how they take it off, and then they fill these areas with what is left after the coal has been removed. What's the relationship of that? Where does the money go? Where does the coal go? What about the relationship of the people and the land and the culture that ties them together? Can you see how they would be disrupted, fragmented, and broken by that? It no longer looks like a beautiful rose looking down from the petals. Every day, cars and cars and trains pull out with coal from the mountains. It seems so remote, Appalachia and Kentucky, but we have to understand that in China and the United States, we're bound together. 72% of your energy in China is made from coal, and the coal is coming from the United States to China. We're tied together, and our, our land and our people are tied to yours and the way we produce energy and the way we use energy together. But we're a musical people. Music is very important in expressing ourselves and our relationship to community and land. Historically, there have been many, many musicians. And this is a family that lived next door to where I live in Clark County. And they released commercial recordings in the 1920s. And today, there are still generations of musicians. From Knoxville, Tennessee, this is Sparky Rucker, a wonderful guitarist, singer, a coal miner, 84 years old, I believe now, Lee Sexton. When you look at those hands playing the banjo, you know he worked hard all of his life in the mines. A singer, Alice Gerard, Dan Dutton uh, from Somerset, a ballad singer. He's apprenticing with Dan Dutton, so another generation is continuing to learn those old songs, those ballads. The square dance. The dance is so important, it ties us together. In a square dance, couples it's not about couples, it's about squares interacting so everybody in the community is dancing with one another and you trade partners and move on. So the oldest person is dancing with the youngest person. Uh, men and women are all dancing together. And I wanted to show you just a little bit about that and how that dance works with the music. Um, let me play one for you. There's just... Just fiddle here. I'm sorry I don't have any banjos or other instruments with me, so we'll have to listen to an example. But I thought I would play a little bit of it for you. Frank was talking about Afrolacha, and I have to tell you the banjo 
is an African instrument that found its way to this country, and in the American South they developed it. Um, a style of playing called claw hammer that was taken right from African griot, storytellers in Africa, the same way of playing in Appalachia. So we'll hear a little bit of that, but it meshed with the European-influenced instrument that's really coming from Central Asia because of the horsehair. So all of these things find their way into Appalachia in a string band. And when you hear this fiddle tune, you'll hear a little bit of a Afrolachian, a little bit of sliding, a little bluesy kind of sound that is much more typical of blues than the, what we think of in string band music. instead of, I'm up here, and you're in the audience, and applauding. So maybe just to feel a little bit what that square dance would be like, could you play that? This is a Kentucky tune, Martha Campbell, a band that I play with, the Red State Ramblers. to it, I could do it for hours because you're personally involved in sharing it. 
the instruments themselves, people that make those instruments, that take the wood from the place and shape it are so important in continuing the life of that music. We so seldom think of how important it is the people that make our musical instruments that allow us to extend our voices from ourselves through our hands. This is Homer Ledford. That's a dulcimer he built for me. It's a sweetheart dulcimer. Um, you can play with it on facing a woman with your knees touching, and you can play, and she can play. Parents used to love this because they could leave their children with the dulcimer, and they would be just playing music. If the music stopped, they'd be in the room in a heartbeat to check on what was going on. So Homer Ledford was a very, very fine and gifted craftsman and a musician. Warren May is still working on dulcimers, building them in, Lexing in Berea, Kentucky. And uh, one of the interesting things about this instrument is it's Kentucky's state instrument. So it's a traditional folk instrument that became our state instrument about 10 years ago. When you think of culture, we think of music and art and literature, the things we've talked about already today. But the food is so important. You can't understand old-time Appalachian traditional music unless you understand cornbread. <laughs> and that's absolutely the case. We're arguing today, do you put sugar in cornbread? No, I wouldn't do that. Anybody who did that would put poisonous snakes in a baby's carrot. <laughs> it's, very, it's very important. So the people who keep this culture are um, part of this fabric that are tying the people to their land, to the garden, to the community again. And this is the way in which the real identity of a place is nurtured. Not from people coming in for a week, like Mr. Schenken that one of you referred to, for a weekend. It's the people that are creating this on a daily basis. This is the woman I learned to make cornbread from, Opal Sexton, who's the wife of that banjo player in a minor that I showed you. Does she use sugar? Pardon? Oh, God, no. <laughs> and that's her cornbread right there. It's really good, too. Right there? It's good. What was the dish that we had with the corn today? A corn pancake? It was wonderful. Yeah, so corn, corn translates here as well. But you see, the, the table would not look unusual in China. You would recognize you know, some greens and the things like that as well, potatoes. Um, one of the things that's become almost a stereotype of Kentucky and Appalachia is moonshining. And it was simply a way of people to take corn and make a product that they could move easily. Instead of moving a whole lot of corn, you could distill it into a liquor and sell it that way. And it was one of the few cash crops, so it was very important. When a culture is in danger of dying, 
we frequently start festivals. Um, and this is, we're going to take just a quick look at a few festivals. One of the interesting things about this one, if you look at the flags there, that's a British flag and an American flag, and the festival tried to create this image of, yes, we're Anglo-Saxons from England in Appalachia, and we have no place for Frank Walker. That's what the story was about. And it started with Indians, but they're not really Indians. They just made them up to look like Indians. <laughs> Festivals. This is one that takes place in Kentucky, in Pikeville, and it's the Hillbilly Days, Pikeville. If you are from outside, you look at this and go, this is the worst image and stereotyping imaginable. But for the people that live there, they can make fun of themselves and embrace the way the world sees them and laugh at that. Mm -hmm. Hillbilly days. A string band music festival that's really the largest one of its kind in West Virginia. It draws people for a week or two to just play music day and night. A band of tr traditional musicians, real world string band uh, at Red River Gorge. <clears throat> the sacred. One of the most important spaces for music is that which takes place in churches. And there are some very characteristic kinds of churches, the old regular Baptists that are distinctive to the Appalachian region, primitive Baptists. But I have to tell you, every possible religion can be found in Appalachia as well. I thought we would listen to just a little bit of a sermon and the singing in the style of the old regular Baptist church, a lining out. where you would expect to see the Buddha. But I have one in my yard, too. And so we respect many different kinds of religion in the region. A singing from a kind of a book called The Sacred Heart. And I thought I would just sing a little bit of that for you and give you an idea of what that sounded like. I'm only going to sing one line of it, and then you'll hear the different parts sung together. The first thing I would do is line it out and give the pitches. La fa la la fa la. And then I would sing syllables that have shapes in my notes. 
la 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 so mi so la so mi la la so mi la so fa la so la so mi la and each part is a separate voice a separate melody an independent line and they come together the way American independence does as a whole with individual voices the freedom of each line together in harmony connect just a little bit before I close the past and the present and it lives still alive the people who are alive who are musicians that taught us I learned from that fiddler right there Marion Sumner and now he's tied to the past to the soil where he lives we mentioned the feuds. I thought I would put a picture of that. The Hatfields and McCoys are the most famous of those feuds. And there they were posed with guns, looking pretty ornery. In reality, um, a lot of this was in the press. But they're alive in memory, and they are still tied to the place, even after death, in the soil to which they're bound. James Still, the poet whose poem, Heritage, was read at the beginning. James Still, where he resides, slumbers at Heinemann today. So the idea of that tradition and how it's transformed, it's not just the past, but it continues to inform the present and the future. That log cabin becomes built larger and it forms a home place clinic, a medical clinic. Stables become a hall of fame and a modern museum outside of Lexington, Kentucky, John Lair's. The Artisan Center, where arts and crafts in Kentucky are displayed in Berea. The Exposition Center, modern buildings taking place in the region, in Pikeville. And to understand that it's not all about log cabins and idealized mountains, we have cities as well. But not many, because it, land has to be very flat for the most part. And you have to have at least rivers or a valley, or be willing to blow up a mountain to put the city in. 
Roanoke, Virginia. Charleston, West Virginia. Asheville at night. Knoxville, Tennessee. So even with the modern skyscrapers and landscape, you still have the mountains that nurture sound, place, and identity tied together in this landscape and this culture of the people that are bound to the soil. And I thank you very much. Thanks for listening, and thanks to the College of Arts and Sciences and the American Studies Center at Shanghai University for making this podcast possible.